we started a series a little while ago on the book of Acts, Faith in Action. And the last two weeks absolutely fitted into the themes and the momentum and where this series is going. But they were just a beautiful little segue that has weaved into the story. And we're coming back to the script this week. I don't know about you, but each time I open the word and read something, I find the more I read it, the more alive it becomes. There's times where I read passages and I'm like, cool story. And then you read it again or you read it later in a different context and it's like, wow, that's fantastic. There's more here than I thought the first time I read it. So if you are interested in pre-reading what we're about to to go in the series of Acts, you're not cheating, you're getting ahead of the curve and I guarantee you'll get more out of what I share and what God wants to speak into your heart if you read beforehand. And you can read it even more than once, you know. You could, you could read it more than once. And this week, as I've read and I've read and I've read, it just, there's more and there's more and there's more. And the passage we're looking at today, we could actually spend six months on this one passage and we could get so much out of it. And yet it's almost an injustice just to look at it for a day. But I believe God really wants to speak through what his word has this morning. But I would encourage you, feel free to come prepared. Now, you know that there's a slightly nerdy delight that I have, and that is watching rocket launches. Uh, Yes, it is nerdy, but there's something really cool I find in watching rockets launch. And I think I inherited it from my physics teacher father, who also as a kid used to get us out there and, you know, as a child I watched, some people would have no idea what this is, Skylab, you know, that would go across the sky. Yeah, Google it, it's old. And more recently, the International Space Station, you can see that go across the sky. And so I I love watching rocket launches. However, there's a word that the control tower uses that I thought I knew, and they use it consistently many times in every launch and initially it confused me because the word is nominal now I know the word nominal to mean sort of fairly insignificant or minor or mediocre you know if someone gives a nominal gift it's sort of insubstantial but they use this word over and over again and they say speed is nominal trajectory is nominal Cabin pressure is nominal. I'm like, I'm going to have to go re-look up this word. Because if the speed is nominal, this thing's not taking off the ground. Because it's mediocre or insignificant. And there's actually two meanings for the word nominal. And they're somehow related. But the second meaning is that it's within healthy limits. So nominal also means that it's within healthy limits. It's within expected limits boundaries and so if the speed is nominal it's the speed that they anticipated it to be they planned it to be within this speed and it's so it's therefore nominal the trajectory is nominal if it's going where it's meant to go if it's spiraling out of control it's no longer nominal it wasn't the plan it wasn't how it was meant to be and this morning I think this concept is really valid and valuable to where we're going Because as the church was birthed, Luke presents a couple of things in the Acts 
narrative about what's nominal, what's healthy. Now, we can have two responses to that, and I was reminded of that this week too, because I had a healthy perspective, a nominal perspective, that was actually a little distorted. And, and I suspect we all have a slightly distorted perspective of this. I caught up with someone from Voice of the Martyrs. And he shared some stories of the sacrifice and faith that Christians make around the world for their faith, for what they believe and what they're prepared to commit to. And I had a spectrum of what I thought was nominal, what I thought was a healthy idea of sacrifice, of service, of, of loving God and loving people. And as this guy shared stories of what people do around the world, my idea of nominal was expanded. As I heard about things that, that people experience and what they sacrifice in the name of Jesus, I was like, my idea of healthy normal is a little bit narrow. And, and I'm probably at this end of the spectrum and playing things pretty safe. And maybe my idea of normal is out of whack. Now, if this is an area you want to explore a bit further and you want to look into, we're not going to talk about it today. It comes up later. Stephen's a reminder of what that looks like later in Acts. But this guy gave me a few books. If you're a reader, feel free to come and grab one of these. If you want to hear stories about what people are doing around the world to inspire you and maybe challenge your idea of normal, those are there. Feel free to grab them and borrow them and then bring them back. That would be awesome. But that's one example. The other thing is... Nominal houses work out when we are out of whack. If the rocket is not on the right trajectory, something needs to change. And that's not terrible, just something needs to happen. So let's just remember that as we go through this passage. The passage sort of speaks for itself. It's fairly clear. But yeah, I think having this idea of nominal, what's, what's healthy, what's appropriate, is really good perspective just to think about. Okay, so we're in Acts chapter 2, and if you remember from a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit had come, they were all waiting in the room, and we finished with a whole group of people hearing the noise and gathering. They were amazed and perplexed in verse 12 of chapter 2, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, and they said, they are filled with new wine. They must be drunk. And so we're going to continue from verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Now it's interesting, it's good to know that Luke loves a speech. He loves a speech. Acts has more speeches in it than probably any other book in, in Scripture. I haven't checked that. But over 20% of Acts is speeches. And it's really significant to Luke in putting these speeches in there. Now, he wasn't actually at this one, so he relied on eyewitnesses' uh, accounts of what Peter said. But it's worth noting that speeches are really significant because what people say is really important. 
and it's a reflection of their heart and it's a reflection of their authority. And so you'll find the people that have speeches in Acts are the one Luke wants to point out have a significant role to play. So the fact that Peter's speaking and that there's a speech of Peter's shows the significant role that Peter plays in this context. So Luke sort of emphasises that by sharing the words that Peter shared. Give ear to my words. Verse 15. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now we talked about this prophecy a few weeks ago, so I won't go over that again. But this is how Peter starts his speech. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus. So Jesus, by this stage, was really well known. Very few people would have been surprised at hearing the name of Jesus or the works of Jesus. And when Jesus meets the, the, the guys on the road to Emmaus, and says, what are you talking about? They go, seriously, where have you been? Haven't you heard what's going on in Jerusalem? Like everybody would have understood the miracles and the story of Jesus by this point. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So he's just painting a picture of what Jesus just experienced. Jesus' death and resurrection. And the fact that it was actually planned by God. And yet it was executed by broken people. By wicked people. For David says concerning him. This is King David. I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, Peter continues, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So the point here is that in David's psalm, it almost sounds like David's talking about himself. But Peter wants to point out that he can't be talking about himself because when he says, you will not abandon my soul, that I'm not going to die, he's like, well, he died and, and he's in a grave. So 
he can't be talking about himself. So who is he talking about? Being therefore a prophet, so he's calling David a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So he's, he's pointing out that what David was talking about was actually prophetic. It was actually about Jesus. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now it's worth knowing some translations Christ is Messiah. We use the word Christ as Christians. The Jews would have understood the word Messiah better. It's the language of the Old Testament in terms of the one that was coming to save. So we say Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. You know, Saviour, Christ, the one that saves. They would have understood the word Messiah in the same context. The Messiah was the one that was coming, that was prophesied. And so, so Christ, Messiah, Saviour, all the same theme. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. We're going to continue, but I'll just pause there for a second. So this is the speech that Peter gives. It's a really significant speech. And if you, if you recognize some themes in there, that's good. Because if you want to know what is a nominal gospel message, a healthy gospel message, Peter has just given one. Peter has just given us a, a beautiful script of what is really healthy for a gospel message. There's some, there's some great ways you can approach conversations about Jesus and people's circumstances don't always hear clearly the gospel message without their context. So there's nothing wrong with asking anyone any question related to their relationships, related to their idea of love, related to their understanding of God. There's all beautiful ways you can approach the topic of the gospel. But the gospel itself, it's really important to understand what is a healthy gospel. Because there's actually a lot of different understandings of who Jesus is. There's some religions that believe Jesus was just a good guy, that maybe he was a prophet. 
There's some people that believe whatever they want about Jesus. And yet Peter paints a really clear picture about who Jesus was and what is important about the good news of Jesus. John Stott has a really simple and clear way of understanding this. He has a great commentary on the book of Acts. And within that, he has a great picture of of four pairs. So there were two actions. The two actions were the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And they were testified by two groups, the prophets and the witnesses. So we've got two actions that were testified by two groups, the prophets and the witnesses, which are both really important. It's really important to understand not just the witnesses, but this is something that God had planned from the beginning. This was God's design and he communicated that. When Jesus was born, a beautiful old lady was in the temple and she was like, wow, I have seen what so many people have waited for. I have experienced what people have been yearning for so, so long. It's really important to understand that there's two types of witnesses, not just one, not just those that were there, but those that actually declared that it was coming. So valuable. The third is that there is two things that are given What are those two things? Forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. The good news of the gospel is that God offers us forgiveness. Redemption, restoration, rescuing, restoring, renewing, whatever you want to call it. It's forgiveness. The the, the forgiveness is given and the gift of the Holy Spirit that you are not on your own, you're not expected to walk in life in isolation, but you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit to walk life in union, in relationship, in intimacy with God, your Heavenly Father. Two gifts. But there are two conditions. And the two conditions are repentance and faith. Repentance, turning from your own way, acknowledging that God has a better way, that the gifts he's given, that the things that he's promised, that the the things that Jesus did were true. So faith, you could say, is, is believing. But you can't believe and say, I acknowledge what Jesus has done without turning from your own way and saying, I'm acknowledging him as Lord and Savior. Lord being the authority, Saviour being the one that rescues. So these these four different things are sort of the package of what Peter is sharing here. Two acts of Jesus, the death and resurrection. You can't separate them. The death was the sacrifice that was paid. The undeserved sacrifice that Jesus paid. Fundamental to the gospel. The resurrection is the power at work that can restore broken things and elevated Jesus to the place of the authority that he has. You can't separate them. You can't separate the prophecies and the witnesses. They both testify to the fact that this is real, this is true. If this is a space that you struggle with, did it really happen? There's a fantastic book, and I think they've even made it into a movie series. A journalist, a legal journalist, Lee Strobel's wrote a book called The Case for Christ. 
If this is an area that you struggle with, so did he. And he wrestled with it, and he went through his normal process of, of journalism and legal journalism and studied the historical Jesus and the claims that Jesus made about himself. There's others, um, but that's just one example. If that's an area that you struggle with about the, these two groups that testify. The third part, anyone remember? Two gifts. Two gifts. Forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. They're essential. If you, if you just give someone forgiveness, you're leaving them hanging because their sins are forgiven, but their rest of their life is hard work. We weren't designed to live life in isolation on our own without being empowered by God to live the life he's called us to. It's cruel to say to someone, God's forgiven your sins, but now you've just got to slog it out on your own. They have to go together. But all this is dependent on two conditions, repentance and believing, repentance and faith. Is this making sense? It's a beautiful gospel story. And this is why I say we could spend months on this, because this is in and of itself is something that we, we know the words for, we understand the words, but the reality of our lives often are not nominal. Sometimes we struggle and we're out of whack with our understanding of forgiveness. And we want to please God. We want to impress him because we feel guilty about, about our posture. And, and you go, you're actually free. Do you understand you're free? Sometimes we, we misunderstand the role the Holy Spirit plays. Or we misunderstand the significance of the Holy Spirit and we ignore him in our lives. Sometimes we forget that this is actually God's good design. Sometimes we don't understand the importance of what Peter is saying. Steve spoke really well last week about the eagerness we, we should have to share this good news. This is the, the core of our lives, our being, our existence. This is so significant to who we are. And yet sometimes our healthy perspective is out of whack. So I'd just love you just to pause for a second as you hear this and go, like the control tower of a rocket launch, are things nominal? Are things nominal with me? Do I have a healthy perspective? How, is, how am I aligned with what Peter's saying here? Do I nod and smile and agree with the words, but... My heart's out of whack. Does there need to be some adjustment? Beautiful thing is Luke doesn't stop there. He goes on to show the fruit, the nominal, the healthy fruit of what responding to this gospel message looks like. He finishes chapter 2 by sharing a summary of what the result of the gospel looks like. And this too is really challenging for us to, to, to reflect on our idea of what healthy looks like. I'm going to continue reading. Just, just soak in this. This is really cool stuff. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved." This is a beautiful picture of the formation of what comes out of the gospel message. The response of people who say they want to repent and believe. It's a a spectacular picture. Now, I do want to say before you get discouraged and go, oh, that's not me, that was not them either. And we're going to continue as we go through Acts to realise that understanding what nominal looks like, understanding what healthy looks like, also helps you understand what unhealthy looks like. And they, they come across some challenges that they have to deal with because this beautiful picture that Luke paints right here wasn't their experience. But this is a great ben- benchmark. This is a great thing to aim for and to look at and say, how do I, how do we, how do we collectively as a community measure healthy compared to what Luke sets up as a healthy picture of responding to the gospel. Because there's so much in this passage. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, at that time, they didn't have New Testament scriptures. The reason we have the New Testament scriptures is because people wrote down the apostles' teaching. They were like, this is so good, the apostles can't get around to everyone, we better write it down so that people can know and learn, and every church can have the apostles' teachings. And so that is exactly what the New Testament is, and we are really blessed by having it all written down. So thousands of years later, we too can devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings. Now the other thing that's useful is you might say, well, hang on, what about Jesus' teaching? The apostles were the reference point. They were the ones that were with Jesus. And so they were the first-hand people that could say, this is what Jesus taught us. This is what Jesus did. This is, this is how it was. So you might, you might say, oh, well, how does, how does the four Gospels fit in? Absolutely. That was written too by those who were present with Jesus. And so that... Jesus' teaching and the apostles' teaching, you can bundle up in the same thing because the apostles were referencing what they'd been taught for three years by Jesus. So this is the first thing. This is the first thing Luke wants us to know. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The second thing was they were in fellowship. They were in relationship. They were committed to journeying together. They weren't islands, they weren't doing their own thing, they were committed to journeying together. To the breaking of bread is is highly likely a reference to the Lord's Supper. So the Lord said on the night before he's betrayed to do this in remembrance of me. And so they were doing that. They were repeating the breaking of bread like they were told and to prayer. 
And this is something I want to challenge you by. And awe came upon every soul. Awe came upon every soul. Awe came upon every soul. I was reflecting on this during the week. Can you remember back to when you first had that amazing experience, that point of of intimacy with God, that point of revelation, that point of, wow, this is what it means to be a Jesus follower. That sense of awe, that sense of wonder, that sense of, wow. How's that going for you? This was a challenge for me during the week. Because I'm not convinced that that was meant to be something that happened once. I'm not convinced that when Luke talks about this, he was talking about it as something that happened on the day of Peter's speech. I think it was a collective expression and understanding of people who've experienced the gospel. I was reflecting on sometimes how somber this space can be. And go, is that all? Doesn't look like all probably to a stranger. Maybe it is in your heart. But I was like, wow, Lord, my idea of nominal, of what healthy reflection, understanding, posture, delight, I think is out of whack here, Lord. I think I've misaligned my idea of healthy. I do think you want and you encourage and you lead us into a place of awe. Not as as just an experience of a young believer, but as something for all of us to experience and to say, God, this is a healthy, normal response to your goodness to your mercy, to your forgiveness. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So they continued the ministry that Jesus did, that Peter mentioned in his speech. There were many signs and wonders. There was evidence of the power of God at work. Again, what's normal? What's healthy? Where do we sit on that spectrum? And again, I find myself misaligned with what this says a healthy response to the gospel looks like. Is God at work doing amazing, wonderful things in my life? Yes, he is. Am I awestruck and testifying to that? Not as much as I should. I'm out of alignment. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And I'd like to point out the end of verse 45 that says, as any had need. There's something really beautiful and nominal within a healthy perspective of this, that their idea of community was one in which no longer do we have mine and yours, We have ours. And as the needs arise, we will address and meet those needs. 
There is also uh, some movements that have taken this to the extreme and say you can't join our church unless you sell all possessions and, and, and that's one possible reading of this. This is not presented as a collective. You notice that they also still met in homes? So they still had homes. So it wasn't like when they say they all met together, it's not like to belong you have to sell everything. But if you've got a bit of land and somebody else doesn't have a home, has nowhere to stay, and you can't provide that in your home, then maybe you might need to sell that land so that they can actually have a home. So there's, there's a sense of it's no longer mine. It's actually something that we have that we share. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Again, posture of heart, so beautiful here. Praising God. And this is another thing that, um, you know, great to be praying into, having favour with all the people. Like that's how it's meant to be. That's normal. Now there's, there's people, we have issues, I have issues. I'm not, I'm not whole, I'm not complete. But the ideal model, the ideal thing to aiming for is favour with all the people. Interesting. And the last line, don't miss this one. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This ties back with what Peter was saying. It is normal to share the good news of Jesus with people. That is normal. That that is healthy normal, I should say. It is healthy and right for people to be hearing and responding to the gospel. Again, I have to check myself and say, where do I fit? Because I've got in a rut of normal being us gathering together and unusual being actually sharing the gospel. But I think I'm out of whack. I don't think scripture's out of whack. I think it's me. My idea of healthy needs to stretch and change. And I love you sharing, Dan. I love the fact that as you shared with the, with the guy at the restroom, that in your heart things changed. You shared God's goodness with a guy and something happened in you. So good. What's so beautiful about this whole picture, there is no self in this story. Do you notice that? Self is completely gone. They have removed their own selfish personal ways, their own selfish desires, their own personal aspirations, and they've said, we are now for the common greater good. It's not explicit, but it is implicit. It's, it's in every line, in every word, the delight and the worship is for God. The thankfulness is God for our food. The, the generosity is for those that have needs. This picture paints an amazing illustration of God's design for those that have received the gospel. It is for the common good, it is for the glory of God, it is for the rescuing and redemption of creation to himself. These are the agendas of those that have received the gospel. And it is beautiful. 
It's something they delight and have awe in, they rejoice in, they celebrate, they, they break bread together, they're hanging out together. This is a beautiful, ideal picture. And before we get discouraged, I want to repeat, it's not always like this, even at their, in their time. But it is a great benchmark to reference. Let's not get complacent. Let's not get comparison with ourselves and with each other and with other churches and with the things around us. This is our reference point. This is the reference point of what healthy looks like. And, and if we look around and go, well, you know what, I'm, I'm doing better than, than Sam. So, you know, I, I'll be okay with that. Sam's not my reference point phenomenal. Sam's not my reference point, he's an inspiration most of the time, but he's not my reference point for nominal. This is a beautiful reference point of what healthy looks like. This is a beautiful point of going, am I out of whack or in alignment? This is a great reference point. And if you're like me, and as you stew on this and as you unpack this, there is some alarm bells going off on the rocket ship. The speed is not nominal. The cabin pressure is not nominal. The trajectory is not nominal. And that's not to berate us. That's to say we've got some beautiful work to do, some correction to do. And for you and I, it might be different. There might be different aspects of this that stand out that that God really wants to highlight in your walk, in your journey at this point. The aim is not perfection. If God wanted us to be perfect, he could have done a much better job. We're actually designed and created fragile to need him. We are not designed to be complete, perfect beings. And we still need the gospel. We still need forgiveness. We still need the spirit. We still desperately rely on God in our lives. So if you're aiming for perfection, you're missing the point. We are aiming for a healthy dependence on God. A desperate seeking of the teaching of the apostles. A desperate leaning on the reliance of the community around us. A desperate Gratitude for everything God gives us and a desperate desire for people to hear about how good God is. And out of that, there is awe, there is wonder, there is rejoicing, there is celebration, there is delight. This is not perfection. But we've got to come back to the gospel message to know how to respond. Because the gospel message has the answer most of the time. Repent and believe is still the conditions. It hasn't changed. It's never going to change. I'd love us to be excited by this picture. Like I'm excited about watching rockets take off. Two and a half thousand kilograms of fuel that gets burnt in 15 seconds. Like, that blows my mind that they even do that. 
Do you know how many rockets were launched in the last week? A dozen? Yep. The uh, Indians launched one last night with a whole heap of satellites. I think there were 24 satellites in it to make the internet run faster. It's called the One Web Program. That's exciting. But constantly during the launch, there's call-outs. Is this nominal? 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 Is it healthy? Is it where it should be? And I think today is a beautiful opportunity for us to just pause with excited anticipation. Not from a place of rejection or failure or condemnation, because forgiveness is a gift that's been given to us. We can't separate these things out. Forgiveness has been given to you as a gift. So accept that and don't look at yourself the way the world looks at you, the way other people look at you. You are forgiven by the Almighty. And yet your response is to repent and believe. So I just want you to think about what I've shared today. Think about what what you heard, what stood out. And just to spend some time with the Lord saying, Lord, I'm present. Your Holy Spirit is present. Again, can't separate them. It's a gift that's been given. Holy Spirit is present. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to inspire and encourage you with maybe something that's not healthy. That he believes you and him together have the capacity to do something about today. There's things in my life that the, uh, the Holy Spirit might not tell me today because I'm not in a place to hear it or to do something about it. He'll get to that tomorrow. But I believe today there's something that he is convinced you are capable of in his strength and his power to do something about today. To embrace, to be inspired by, to be encouraged by. Maybe it's to be devoted to the teachings of the apostles. Maybe your excitement for God's word has waned. Your idea of healthy is out of whack. Maybe your enthusiasm for the gospel is not healthy. Maybe your embrace and your generosity and sense of other is not healthy. Maybe your thankfulness and delight is a bit out of whack. They're just suggestions. I'd encourage you just to wait on the Lord. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word, which is living and active. You are such a good God. And you meet us personally where we're at. Lord, I thank you for this community. I thank you for the journey you have us on and the way you are leading us into healthy community, Lord God into a healthy dependence on you. Lord, speak to your people today. 
speak to our hearts. Bring us back to a place of awe and wonder, a place of thankfulness and gratitude, a place of inspiration to share your gospel, Lord God, with others. Speak to our hearts about what you would like us personally and collectively to respond to today.